So, let's see here. We're gonna do it. There's so much glorious goodness. Delicious gem of stupid nonsense. Power to the people! Mexican hairless parrot. Big fake cardboard tires on the Failing front. on such a quantum level. Pull up a wheelchair, Jason! The most inefficient way to castrate somebody. Yes, madam. You're too smart to pay full price, baby. Broadcasting live from inside the power band. Located on the seventh world. This is The Blah. I'm your host, Kev, along with my super great friends, Ben yo, and Chad. What's up? And this week on the podcast, folks, we're going to be talking about a very special film that's very near and dear to Ben's heart, and that would be the 1984, uh, wouldn't quite classify it as a classic, uh, The Ice Pirates, starring Robert Urich, Angelica Houston, if you can believe that, Ron Perlman, and Roger Ipswich from Accounting on Seinfeld. <laughs> Where do you guys want to start? I, I wouldn't mind chiming in with my high level, which is just the first and only note I took on my first watching was, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's about all you can do on high level. <laughs> you dared me on uh, the other movie, I think it was Out for Justice, to go high level. I'm daring you, Chad. Do it. Go high level. I dare you. I was I was so blown away with the ridiculous hilarity of this film. So I uh, I was cracking up a, a fair bit. So thank you for the recommendation, Benny. I had never ever heard of this movie. Nor I. And it was um, a delicious gem of stupid nonsense. Yeah, that that sums it up. That's good. It's fun though, right? I mean, <laughs> it was fun. It's a lot yeah, of fun, definitely. Yeah, this was like uh, yeah. Nobody knows this movie, uh, but the, I, I know it because. Um, uh, good friend of mine you know like we each had like a collection of like D- uh dvds of uh, vhs tapes that we had like you know dubbed from like shit that was on hbo or whatever right and and he had this movie you know we used to watch it i think maybe like a half an hour of it at a time or whatever when it always cracked up when we got to the space rippies part <laughs> and then uh you know i don't know if we ever finished the movie i think like recently when i watched this for the podcast was like the first time i've actually seen the movie all the way through <laughs> wow but um I don't know. For whatever reason, we we loved watching this movie. So so there's a nostalgia factor for you, and and I think I, I get what you mean in the sense that you know back in the day you would sort of kind of tape anything that you thought looked cool just to have like a collection of VHS tapes. Yeah, definitely. So it, I'm kind of getting the vibe that your buddy he you know recorded this one from. HBO thinking that this would be something cool like Star Wars and then later <laughs> found out that it was not. Well, when you're a kid, you don't really have the same kind of uh, refined taste as when you get older. So I think we thought it was, you know, it was good. And, you know, I mean, it was schlocky and the, the effects were not great. But for the time, they were at least like on par with something you would have seen on TV, you know, so no doubt. Anyways, uh, you know, I think we thought it was good and we thought it was funny and that it was kind of unique at the time. You know, Spaceballs hadn't come out yet. So like the, yeah. the you know, the uh, sci-fi comedy was sort of a unique thing. Mm. The thing about this movie that makes it so great is that they are definitely nobody is trying to take themselves seriously here. It's no. it's just all like good fun. But at the same time, my enjoyment of it is that I tried to take it seriously Oh, my God. Dude. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, like, for the first act, I was, like, I was convinced that they were, 
attempting to make a good movie but failing so gloriously that uh it was like just i don't know like the perfect quantum state of of someone failing on such a quantum level that it just like explodes in supernova and it's hilarious <laughs> i don't know i suppose i just got so caught up in the movie that i didn't realize that it was meant to be a comedy until like reading about it which i know makes me sound like an idiot but whatever that's what i thought you didn't you didn't notice the slapsticky robot fighting scenes or well i mean there are <laughs> there are movies that try and do that seriously man you know and so i was like battle like, beyond the stars yes yeah maybe so i really like it made me enjoy it more i was so pumped about it i actually once like i stepped away from the experience and started reading about it and i was like coming off the hangover of of laughing at uh, the silliness I started, you know, I liked it less once I realized that they were intentionally making it that bad. So, but I mean, I still thought it was hilarious. I love how you just refer to this as the experience. It is an experience. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I don't it. think we've ever referred to a movie as an experience before. <laughs> yeah. I can think of a lot of films that are an experience. This is not one of this them. This is definitely one of them, man. I was fucking losing it. The fucking love scene with, like, the guys getting sprayed with a garden hose, the fucking sunset. Like, come on, dude. There's so much glorious goodness. Shouldn't you be at the controls? Yeah. <laughs> or Roger Ipswich wearing the, uh, like, a, a a classic, like, 1700s captain's jacket at one point in the yeah. in the film. I was like, with, with like, full full scrub brushes on the shoulders i was like what the costumes are just outstanding yeah yeah and then there's the space herpy i mean yeah we could go on and we will i should i should have known better once they busted the door down and there's an alien taking a shit like the uh oh, the alien cousin right there of the, like, uh, yeah. dan Aykroyd character from nothing but trouble Thank you. Yes, the penis-nosed alien who's like farting when they like bust through the door. Yeah. And uh, all right. So I should have figured it out, but I didn't. Right. I, I would posit that if Chad didn't get it, they thread the needle of like trying to make this silly, but still have a movie going on. Like they, I think they probably achieved it. I think they did. <laughs> Whatever man. it was they were trying to do, they did it. It was a supernova of fucking horror. Like it was just unbelievably bad, but. I kind of wish that it was bad because they made a bad movie and not bad because they were trying to make a funny movie. But either way, I had a good time. It was very meta. I think they I think they were trying to make a bad movie on purpose and like everybody was in on the joke, but really trying hard to not seem like they were in on the joke. Yeah. Like straight face it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into it. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, Jarhigo, since this is your pick, could you, for the folks at home, give us a quote-unquote quick synopsis of this legendary masterpiece so let's see here uh we'll chomp at it this way uh princess karina um (laughs) so (laughs) i love i love trying to figure out how to talk about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. princess karina enlists the aid of some ice pirates after they semi-successfully attempt to rob her ship um, in a quest to find the seventh planet, which is the fabled only place in the universe that has liquid water. Does that work? That's good for super short. Yeah. And, 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 uh, 
you know, lots of uh, schlocky action and comedy ensues. And if I may, um, the seventh world, the, the, the main antagonist group of the film is the Templars of Mithra, who have allegedly destroyed every other planet that had water so they can maintain control over the galaxy. And this particular planet is the only one left that has water on it. And water is the most valuable commodity in the galaxy (laughs) used in cube form as money. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Uh, So if you get ice in your drinks, it's really fucking, it's like burning (laughs) It's like burning. It's like lighting up hundred dollar bills to light your cigars. Yes, exactly. It's like tipping a waitress with a hundred. I think on that description of Princess Buttercup or whatever her fucking name is, Karina, Karina, Princess Karina, enlisting the help of some ice pirates is one of my kind of favorite bits from the beginning. Where you know you open with the action scene, the ice pirates are stealing some ice and silly hallway running and robots and guards and bullshit. But the warehouse and the extension ladder, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get to all that in, in greater detail. But just one of my favorite bits is he kidnaps the princess who's sleeping, and then she's like, dude, what the fuck? You're abducting me. And ten minutes later she's like batting her eyelashes and kind of stoked. And all they did was like get away temporarily from the baddies. And I just thought it was such a perfect 80s moment where, you know, the hero and heroine are are in love after a minute and a half of knowing each other and after a kidnapping and kind of like a sexual assault. It was just like, "Uh uh-huh. Right, yeah. Total creeper moment of him, like, opening her, like, you know, foggy sarcophagus and, like, trying to check out her boobs while nobody's looking. Like, smelling her and stuff. (laughs) And and blowing the the dry ice vapors away from her so he can get a better look at her. Yeah, no, it's a classic eighties flip flop, you know, that that takes place in the in the span of about two minutes. Mm. And then you got the other, you know, decent looking teammate trope, which in this case is is filled by an absolutely foxy Angelica Houston, who rolls her eyes as soon as he kidnaps the uh, the other beauty. You know, it's such a, it's such a funny <laughs> such a funny trope. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's like kind of high level, but I'll just touch on it really quick. There's there's plenty of, you know, typical prescription for 80s schlock movies, you know, sexism, uh, racism and general inappropriateness. But I, I think conversely, the movie actually does like that stuff goes on. But I don't, I don't know what it's trying to say, but it kind of turns it all on its head because really like. You know, there's some really strong female characters in this, including Mary Crosby, uh, Princess Karina. And, you know, like Michael D. Roberts is like super awesome in the movie. He's sort of like the, you know, really smart, practical, you know, second in command. And he's Chief O'Brien. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very (laughs) Chief O'Brien. Only there's no Keiko to be mad at him. Exactly. So I don't know, like it's there's there's these like really kind of shitty tropes in there. But at the same time, the movie sort of does a really good job of of having like great, you know, characters from, you know, great, great female and minority characters. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It might be an interesting moment to to drop a, a something interesting that I saw where I mean, I imagine we all read the same Wikipedia article. There's not a whole lot of information out there, but 
saying that this was meant to be a serious movie with a serious budget, but then it got cut in half and they decided to rewrite it as a comedy. So yeah, maybe, maybe some of the character stuff came from the more serious script treatment or something who knows, but they, you're right. They did have some pretty strong characters for such a hilariously ridiculous movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, I I feel like they, they, there was a a good possibility that they did not inform the actors that the budget (laughs) had been cut and that they were rewriting it as a comedy. That is probably the reason why there are so many great actors in this movie. Because one of the most befuddling things about this film is... Sorry, I just called it a film. One of the most befuddling things about this is that there are some really heavy hitters in this movie. Like like Roger Ipswich from Accounting and Robert Urich and Mary Crosby, Ron Perlman. Hello, he's a show favorite for sure. Even Matusak, you know, baffling. <laughs> so we start with breaking through the hull of the ship and there's a penis nose alien on the toilet and the toilet is like a regular toilet. <laughs> Scro- screwed to a fake computer wall. <laughs> screwed, screwed to the cardboard set. With like the computer bank is the wall in the bathroom. I don't, I don't, I don't really get that. You need computer banks in the bathroom. Yeah, man. And then they they bust into the place and they're running around in the hallways like the Mandalorian, and they stumble upon Mrs. Peacock in the spaceship with the maid's outfit. You know, kind of clue weirdness. Mm. Oh my god! And then the random Sleeping Beauty dry ice fog machine princess thing. <laughs> Wait, did did you mention the extension ladder? No, that's next. That's next. That's next. Sorry. All right. Are you sure that's next? I feel like that was uh, they kind of Yeah, yeah. No, they bust in. They bust in and they're kind of holding the the old grandma in the maid outfit hostage and then the other dude's like, "Stop trying to kidnap this girl. We got to go get the ice." And they go into the big open bay and look at all of the Horrible matte painting pieces of ice. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Okay. And w- one of the guards gets upset and climbs a bouncy extension ladder, which was the first time I like pretty much <laughs> shot Mountain Dew out my nose, and I wasn't even drinking Mountain Dew. That is, it's just so egregious. It's just like a fucking aluminum. It's like a thirty foot aluminum Werner extension ladder with like a blue rope attached to it. You can see anywhere. It's just oh my unmistakable. God. I fucking lost it at that, man. It was so funny. Yeah, very, very poor. And it just kind of devolves into a really weird Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight. And um, uh, it was really funny, man. The robots are just like the worst, the best, worst part of this film. I, I love those fucking robots, man. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I mean, I actually even kind of like the design of them, even though it's sort of a very obvious a dude in a suit kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I like that they're like kind of, you know, like there's ones that are like really shiny and polished and obviously new. And then there's like the kind of junky ones that the the ice pirates were working with. And I don't know. I just thought they were, I mean, they're obviously ridiculous, but I like them. I feel like the design of them was basically like Michael Bay lifted straight from them in the making of the Transformers movies. They're basically Transformers. Mm. Like, mm. Yeah, they do kind of have Transformer faces, don't they? <laughs> They do have Transformer faces. <laughs> they do, man. They have the stupid Michael Bay Transformer faces, not like good Transformers faces. <laughs> yeah, and they, I, the robots were just numerous. They were, they were everywhere. Like 
in the beginning, I was watching the robots and just noting how re- absolutely horrible and ridiculous they were. The dumb noises and like only one of them talked and we don't meet him till way later, but they they were just awful. And I, I was I was like, okay, there's like some robots in this scene. And then they just, I, I feel like every scene there was like a, an exponential amount more of the robots. Yeah culminating in the time warp scene where there was like just I feel like hundreds of them it was pretty good God. <laughs> well the the concept of the fighting robots just seemed silly to me because it's like what the fuck were they even there for it's like they would send the robots in to fight each other you, you almost sucked you almost never saw a robot fighting a person you know like that was that almost never happened so now the people would just stand around yeah yeah, it's like like, it's or like weird. In certain cases, yeah, repairing the robots like in uh, from the the back line, you know, yeah. of the fight. Yeah, <laughs> it's like before we actually have a battle, let's let's have this weird game of like you know electronic vibrating football, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, see see who wins that first, and then we'll actually fight or whatever. I don't know. It's just so weird. Mm. But despite that, like I don't know, just it was just ridiculous and slapstick and funny. The whole you absolutely. Know, Absolutely. It's like the the Roscoe's last robot is like the, the short robot with like the Wolverine blades on its arms or whatever. And it's, it kicks the shit out of the other robots that killed all the other ones. And he's like, the little guys, they try harder. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. So dumb. So then we go back to the princess because Jason wants to kidnap the girl. And the second time I completely lost it was when... Ron Perlman goes, hey, there, he's in there, and sticks his hand out, and it immediately gets chopped off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny, dude. I just, oh, there was so many moments like that where I just lost it. Yeah, and then he get they keep the hand, and then later he's got the cutoff hand, and then it's like his hand grew back or something when he does the trick with the handshake. I, I didn't understand Don't get that. Don't bogged down in the details, man. <laughs> That Chad, that is my job on this show. Okay, let's be real here. There's apparently some kind of hand growing technology in this universe, <laughs> just for hands. But they have you have to have the old hand to wear as like a dried, shrunken head necklace around your neck or something. I mean, there you go. I mean, if I could just re- regrow my hand, I'd probably keep the old chopped off one too, just as a, yeah. you know, in a jar, just for hijinks. Just for hijinks, exactly. Like, hey, kid, shake my hand. Oh, hey, I got you again. Oh, Uncle Jarhigo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so Chad, continue. Where? So Ron Perlman loses his hand. Yeah, it's just like a series of stupid shit. So we can just pretty much blast through this pretty quickly. But but I don't remember. Refresh my memory how they get captured because this is pretty close to the point that they yeah. get captured. And I and just as a quick. Side note, I loved the detail of, and I'll get into more of this later, that everybody's wearing chain mail like it's 1492 or something, you know? Pretty awesome. Yeah, and they have, you know, they have pirate swords and they have, you know, 1700s, uh, you know, Napoleon. I don't, I don't know when, I'm not a history buff, but... Uh, I'm not either, but yes. <laughs> Roscoe has his, like, you know, Napoleon coat and... uh yeah, there's lots of crazy stuff going on. The more you guys talk about things like chain mail and shitting aliens, and the more I realize how I should have picked up on the fact that this was a comedy. Jesus, <laughs> man. That I, uh, I, yeah, that I didn't, and I kind of like that I didn't. Yeah, I kind of like that you didn't either. 
but I somehow can't wrap my head around how you didn't. <laughs> uh, clearly, I was just absorbed by the film, by this masterpiece of cinema. This I feel like Chad kind of did like a Leroy Jenkins on this movie. He just yes. kind of ran in, yeah. you know. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> I watched it in one sitting, man. I just blasted right through it. I did too. I only watched it once. I I was going to watch it twice and I was like, nope, not going to do it. I want to see what happens. So, anyway, Leroy, go ahead. Do you want to do you want to go to the next one, Benny? Well, they're on the bridge, uh one of the uh eunuch slaves sounds the alarm which tips off like the baddies there zorn and his and his templars that's where the, the capturing comes into play or whatever they they actually get back to their ship and take off and then the ship breaks into three pieces and it happens to be the one with uh robert urich and michael d roberts and mary crosby that gets busted by the templars i feel like this is a good point to mention that you know, we had a discussion about powdered wigs a few episodes ago, and that was the first thing I thought of when we got to this part. And you see all the sort of eunuch slave uh, crew members walking around in very robot jocks esque attire with numbers printed on the chest and powdered wigs. And if they had facial hair, that was white, too. I don't get that at all. It's like the hair was a wig, but then the facial hair was somehow white, too, which didn't <laughs> stupid. It makes no sense. Well, you know, this is – and this also, you know, kind of backs up my slash our thing that we posited in Robot Jocks of, you know, the in the 80s, the future was all about – tights, one-piece jumpsuits. That's what I thought of here as well, after seeing the servants, powdered wig servants. I found them so confusing until the weird Laverne and Shirley factory scene, and then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Dude, that, uh, yeah, that was really <laughs> We'll get to it, we'll get to it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's kind of exactly what's next, is, you know, they get captured, and uh, they get brought to the uh the factory where apparently in the future in, in the future i don't know if it's in the future or what but apparently in this universe instead of sending people to prison they turn them into eunuch slaves that have been lobotomized and reprogrammed right i mean that's the idea Makes sense well wait lobotomized or just castrated no they're they say that they're lobotomized oh that's right okay but they because call it they... reprogramming so you know Apparently, these are people who have gotten in trouble for one thing or another, and then, you know, this is their penance. <laughs> what are you going to do to me? Well, we're going to cut your brain out of your head. We call it reprogramming. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty great. You get a free t-shirt. Mm. Yeah, it's clearly not voluntary, but uh, it definitely contains another scene that was burned into my mind, which is like going down the, uh, the conveyor belts. It's so funny. Being shaved, et cetera, and then like... <laughs> and then in Shaving cream. <laughs> the guy... Yeah, that old guy running along the conveyor belt, shaving him while it's moving. I was like, <laughs> that is a high level of skill right there. <laughs> I was partial to the two guys kind of pretending to hedge clipper their clothes off. That was just mm, pure yeah. bliss. I enjoyed the shit. Everybody knows, everybody knows a hedge trimmer is definitely the best way to get somebody out of their clothes. <laughs> oh, no doubt. I mean, it would probably work, to be fair, but it would take a while. I, I would like just like to add is – in the Laverne and Shirley scene, there's a guy on the conveyor belt who kind of looks like Dwight Yoakam, and he is just screaming the entire time um, about, like, 
power to the people. I feel like he's like a union advocate, you know? He's like, power to the people, quit your jobs, throw down your chains. Like, that's his his attempt to get everybody to realize that what's going on in that factory is wrong and that they should stop and help him, but it doesn't work. They just totally ignore him, which is amazing. Yeah, nobody nobody pays no mind to that guy. But, like, it's kind of funny that they have normal people working in the factory, like, cutting people's dicks off because you'd think they would just have other slaves doing it, but they just have normal people. <laughs> and it just makes it so much funnier. Regular old working schlubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, you know, drab-colored do-rags on, yeah, like yeah. Laverne and Shirley had. Exactly. Including including uh, some type of, uh, you know, analog of Laverne and Shirley. Indeed. Yeah. We're yeah. going to do it. Who, who Jason tries to, you know, like chat up. <laughs> Uses, oh, that's right. Uses pirate charm to get them to uh, let him go. I don't think you're going to be up to it. Yes. You have two levels of charm. There's charm, and then there's pirate charm. And if you have pirate charm, you're going to do much better. Everybody knows women love a bad boy, right? Evidently. So I've been told. <laughs> yeah, and while we're on while we're on Jason for just one second, I want to say, because I had this written down as a note, uh, and it may be, I can't remember chronologically where it falls. It may be coming up, but he was, he mentions Lanky Nibs. I think it's when they escape. Dude, Lanky Nibs is the best name ever. Ever. And she, it is, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it came out of his mouth. And the way he delivered it was with perfect seriousness. He's like, yeah, Lanky Nibs, he's, he's a rabble rouser from the, um, the midsection. <laughs> I was like, a rabble rouser. So this is definitely, I mean, you know, it's obvious they were trying to cash in on the success of Star Wars because Jason is very Luke and Han kind of wrapped up into one thing. And when he said rabble rouser, I was like, okay, so they're even going to kind of throw in like a scoundrelly type of thing, you know, to even to make it even more like Star Wars and then attach that to the worst name possible in the universe, Lanky Nibs. Ridiculous. But then it turns out Lanky Nibs just like... <laughs> Sits sits in his southern Florida home with flamingos out front waiting to get run over by Burning Man, Mad Max, rolling float thing. Totally, man. <laughs> Big fake cardboard tires on the front. Yeah. Well, yeah, he should – yeah, he. you feel like he should have like an accent that's befitting of that, what you just described, Chad, you know? Well, I'm Lanky Nibs. Oh, Jason, good to see you again, son. What brings you all the way down here to Sweetwater? Would you like a Tom Collins? I'm just a simple Southern lawyer. Pull up a wheelchair, Jason. Well, Lanky Nibs was not uh, rousing any rabbles, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, we'll get to Lanky Nibs. Yes, we'll get to that later. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It would be sacrilege to not add the detail of the ridiculous uh, castration device, which is a set of metal jaws teeth with, uh, I don't know, they're like spring loaded with like springs from like a, a fountain pen or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> just seems like the most inefficient way to castrate somebody. But hey, what do I know? What do I know about castration? But that was definitely one thing that I found extremely funny when I was a kid for whatever reason. I was just like, what the fuck? It's pretty good, man. That's that's pretty much it. So they yeah they approach the uh, the metal chop teeth and uh, they get pardoned by the princess. And next thing you know, they're in a uh, crazy seventies eighties disco future disco nightclub. Yeah, they go from the uh, 
the car salesman purchasing bullshit into the disco. Yes. Uh, if I may. Yes. The 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 showroom for the slave sales features. I mean, this cast is mob deep in Seinfeld. So we got Roscoe is Roger Ipswich from accounting that works for Jay Peterman. And then in the slave selling showroom scene, we have Ian Abercrombie, a younger Ian Abercrombie, who played Mr. Pitt from season five. Okay. So, yeah, he was great. And that scene was super weird because that's when they had to start talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like most obvious joke ever. Yes, madam. Hey, when do you think we're going to get out of here? I mean, when do you think we're going to get out of here? <laughs> Come on. You're too smart to pay full price, baby. <laughs> That's a... Uh... <laughs> Maybe the third time I lost it was the <laughs> masquerade ball painted mask jiggle your hands dance move shit in that disco party scene. Because, my God, that was some funny stuff. Oh, yeah. You did include. You did just include the painted mask under the yeah, yeah. mask you held. Exactly. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. And they're like, "All right, we need to come up with a new dance that's very futuristic." And like, what if we put our hands straight in front of us and jiggle them like they were made of jello, like Ron Perlman's spare necklace hand? Perfect. Yeah, I I recall Jarhigo and myself had a a bit of a chuckle at the futuristic dancing and music thing that I brought up in Robot Jocks. Now, true. Yep. This one. They didn't use any weird pitch bending to make the music sound futuristic. Oh, oh no, there was there was definitely some pitch bending in there. Was there? Yeah, there there was. Okay, that's good. I just I want to I I was hoping that it was there because <laughs> that's the there, there was that's that's the law of futuristic music. But uh, the you know again, it's like you, you feel like people are sitting around at a table going. Okay, we've got a futuristic dance scene coming up. How do we make that different? How do we make that more futuristic? And then somebody's like, I've got it. We paint masquerade ball masks on, and then they wear masquerade masks on top of that. Oh, my God. That is such a great idea. I think that you'd also have to throw in the, like, they came up with five really good ideas first, and then someone was like, yeah, we only actually have 30 bucks we can spend on that, so... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that, too. I'd like to posit a theory that there's, uh, somewhere there's a Farcaster portal that, uh, <laughs> that brings you into, like, a multiplex club, you know, where, like, one room mm. is, like, the dance club from Robot Jocks, another room is, oh, like, my this, God, yes. this dance club... You know, like they used to have like those, you know, they had that club that would have like the disco room and like the, you know, the the rock the pop, room, top 40 room, the rock room, yeah. like the house music room. Yeah. Like, so there, there's somewhere out there. There's like the, you know, club that has all these like tropey, shitty sci-fi clubs. I would totally party there, man. <laughs> I think the idea of it is cooler than it actually is cool because it just kind of divides the crowd up unless it's like at full capacity. Every room is like bumping, you know, like. Otherwise, it's just like two people hanging out in the disco room, like, you know, yeah. dancing the dancing queen. And, you know, You're right. Like You're right. One dude in the rock room, like headbanging. <laughs> totally, man. <laughs> Going, these guys are awesome. Folks, we'll be back to the madness in a minute after these words from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by us. Folks, we wanted to take a break from the show and just thank everybody so much for tuning in. Uh, you can always rate us review us wherever you get your podcasts if you want to support the show further and you can also tell somebody to check out the show and we would urge you to do so yeah it really helps we really appreciate it and also you know we're loving chatting with 
you guys and gals on Facebook and other stuff. So, you know, if you see anything funny or see anything that you think that we'd like, shoot it our way and you can post it to Facebook or um, tag us in Instagram or something. We'd love to to see what you guys are enjoying as well. So, hey, <laughs> and now back to the mayhem. While, while we're talking about the music, I just want to chime in with one of the first things I thought when watching it, which was the Rob Rob Bandcamp marching band score is fucking hilarious and so horrible. It's it's deplorable. I <laughs> feel like this should have its own section in the podcast. Yeah, it's terrible. So the section is open for business. <laughs> It's just so fucking bad. I just picture a bunch, like literally picture picture a football marching band, like stomping around, ad-libbing this whole thing, because it was just the poorest music I've ever heard in my life. Marching band doing like poor man's Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> music. Like that. that's what the feeling was that I was getting, you know, kind of light, kind of bubbly and fun and just really just terrible all the way through. There wasn't a single good part of the score in this entire <laughs> thing. I don't know. I, I kind of liked some of the synthy, you know, rocky sounding, uh, like the synth rock sounding 80s cartoon, mm. 80s Saturday morning cartoon music stuff that was going on in some of the parts. But uh, it, admittedly, that's, you know, kind of, it's not because it's good. It's just because it's like nostalgic and funny. <laughs> True. And you're right about that. And I, I, did, I did note that I felt, like the music in the credits kind of switched to a different tone. And I was like, why didn't they use this music in the movie? Cause this is way better than the music <laughs> they used in the movie. It was like a, a combination. It was like marching band doing Raiders of the Lost Ark mixed with 1930s pirate movies or 1950s pirate movies, you know, like, they 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 really and not to segue out of the music, but they really made a lot of effort to make the movie piratey, and it felt like it was tacked on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. The whole thing was stapled together. So yes, stapled together. <laughs> you know, like anyway, that that yeah, that that's a, that was good on the music, Chad. You nailed it there with the marching band thing. Yeah, just want to check that out there. As far as the film is concerned, we go from the party scene, Willy Wonka floating drug lightning bolt dance sequence with mm -hmm. painted on masks to a fast forwarded chase, which was hilarious. Mm. I, I I so hate and somewhat love when they <laughs> take normal speed footage and speed it up to make it seem like it's going a lot faster. It's just the worst look ever. Wait, are you jumping? You're not jumping ahead to the time warp scene. No, I'm jumping ahead to the motorcycle chase where the football player dude, Jace, uh, Killjoy, is in a night suit and he's strapped onto the back of their motorcycle while they're getting chased by a police car with spikes on the front <laughs> just before the pimp robot. Well, it's kind of like, yeah. Just it's before like the a, pimp it, robot, which is just... Well, the best part of the movie, <laughs> arguably. <laughs> it's pretty good. Just I love the pimp robot. <laughs> Well, the, the Matusak, did, am I getting that right? Is it Matusak? Yeah. He's actually really funny, and he has his own sort of charm in this movie, but his suit is like a robot suit, and they were like, well, we can't, we don't, I feel like they were like, oh, well, we don't have a robot head that's going to fit you, or we don't have an extra one, so you're just going to wear this night helmet night helmet with a <laughs> visor you can raise. Like, I, it's so bizarre. Like, when he was asking for the sandwich. Sandwich. It was just odd. 
Anything with sugar. Yeah, anything with sugar. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I agree. I know what you're saying, Chad. Yes, the motorcycle scene with the sort of sped up was just – it just never looks right, ever. Definitely not. Well, it does look funny, so if that's what they were going for, they – It worked. They nailed it. Yeah, funny in a Benny Hill kind of way, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of slapstick in this movie. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, maybe like slapstick in its death throes because <laughs> I don't recall seeing a lot of slapstick in the 80s, but there's a ton of it in this movie. Who's typing? Me, sorry. Chad, of course, Chad. Step away from the chess master. <laughs> yeah, get away from the chest, wizard dude. Come on. Is that an ejection death from Chad? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, chasing into Pimp Robot. Pimp Robot needs to be touched on. Oh, pff, fondled even. Go ahead. <laughs> ben, you, you got it. With the voice, you, you know, lay it out for us or, or set the set it up for us. Oh, I don't I definitely don't have that. It was like the most black exploitation style oh, pimp so <laughs> ropey. Pimp character, but on like a light bright <laughs> fucking robot. Yeah. With a fucking light, bright mouth. Like, it was just so funny. I love the design of that robot, man. That robot is amazing. It's like wrapped in like that. At some point in the late 70s and the early 80s, there was this reflective tape that looked like a, like a, you know, it was like rainbowy, like a, like a seat, like the backside of a CD is. And I just remember people used to wrap everything in that shit. And this robot is wrapped in that shit and it's great. But what's really great is the, the helmet, the head on the thing and, and his facial expressions, like, like how it would like blink and like smile and like, I don't know. It was just, <laughs> I love that. It's like that, that is like the king of the 80s robots. And the 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 lines, be like, "Hey man, you want to see some titties?" <laughs> like, what the fuck? He's got man? a TV screen on his chest. <laughs> Yo, blood. Yo, want some titties? Yo, blood. <laughs> oh my god, it was just so horrible, and yet this is my bad chariot. <laughs> they just knocked the black exploitation trope out of the park with a goddamn light bright robot. Oh man, right? Yeah, I have. I half ex- expected a nun to come out of nowhere and be like, hold on, I speak jive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, right? Totally, man. It was like the it was like the pimp from Out for Justice. Like they bottled was. his brain and put it in that robot body. But the thing about that robot was that it was like the worst looking robot in the entire production. It was so just cheesy and weird and cobbled together. Like it looks like in the sense that it looks like they put a lot of energy into the combat, quote, combat robots and the little sort of dinky Marvinish robots. You know, I don't know. Mm. I, I like that robot, man. And I, I, it's, it's totally silly, but I like it. I think that robot is an actual 80s robot, though. Like, you know, like people made robots back in the 80s and they would show up at like, I don't know, dealership openings and shit. <laughs> I think that I think they borrowed that robot from somebody else and used him for the for the pimp roll or whatever. But yeah, yo bloods, y'all want some titties? It's so dumb and yeah, glorious. It's just it's so fucking random, man. Like it's just <laughs> in the middle of the chase scene. It's like that's how they find their ride to get where they're going or whatever. But it's just it's just so bizarre. It's so random. It catches me every time. Like I rewound that like four four times. <laughs> I watched on the last time just because I couldn't stop laughing at it. And worth doing, too, yeah. My other favorite bit about that chase sequence was that 
the the location scouting for for the scenes it looked like they just went to seven different hospitals kind of entrances paved entrances and just decided to drive through them really fast and knock over a bunch of tables because it was like shitty paving and like 80s construction <laughs> oh god i just fucking i loved it yeah right. this, yeah this is this is like the capital world of of this universe or whatever yeah <laughs> well, we're on. That was we were on Mithra, right? That's where we were at that yeah. point. Yeah, finest titties in Mithra. <laughs> yeah, and it was like a poorly lit underground parking area out in front of a hospital. <laughs> oh fuck! It was so good. <laughs> so from the pimp robot scene, does it go straight to them? Oh no! Doesn't it go to? The pirate moon? Well, they they get on the ship and then, you know, they take off. And he was like, yes, all part of my plan that they escape. Oh, right. You know, and then we're off and running to space herpes, a lot of apple eating. And then we finally get to the very ambiguous pirate planet or whatever it is where Lanky Nibs lives. (laughs) Yes, the planet of Lanky Nibs. Or they also encounter the uh, the rest of the crew. They they reunite with uh, Ron Perlman and Angelica Houston and company. So the pirate planet. If you guys could explain for me, I I don't remember what it was called. I know that there's a town there called Sweetwater that consists of like three ancient burned out tents and a wheelchair containing lanky nibs. But what, what was the planet? Like, I didn't understand that. And it really looked more like a space station when we, when they were there. I I have no idea. I mean, I think the, (laughs) (laughs) I think they just called it a pirate moon. Didn't they? They just called it a pirate moon. I'm pretty sure. And I think what you were confusing for a state uh, space station was just like a, you know, like a big, you know, pirate bar or whatever, like, or maybe it was like the, the spaceport bar or whatever on the planet, you know, kind of had a total recall interior kind of yes, vibe. Definitely right mm. with the frog lady and ah man, you always have space steamers. <laughs> <laughs> Solar space steamers. steamers again. The racist racist swordsman. Yeah, the, my eyebrows hit the back of my head when that dude dropped that end bomb. I was like, "Fucking holy shit, bro!" <laughs> it's a, it's a good thing he gets decapitated like pretty much instantly yeah. afterwards by Angelica Houston. <laughs> that was pretty. Was, wow. Okay, different era. Yeah, that was a good death. That was a pretty good death. I loved how he had like really shitty kind of like Oakley glasses with no frame, with no <laughs> glasses, no lenses, no lenses. <laughs> And like when he's when Jason and uh, Killjoy roll up, he he takes he's getting a shoe shine, and the the shoe shine boy informs it that there's no more spit for the shine because he needs water in his you know in his body. They really go to town with this water bullshit, hey? Yeah, they really do. And then and then he takes the the glasses or the goggles that have no lenses, and he lowers them down like. <laughs> Somehow that's going to make him see see better, better or something. <laughs> uh, good lord! Well, yeah, they go to the bar. There's a ra- a random bounty hunter looking guy. Like I like how they set the Oakley dude up and the the pirate patch bounty hunter dude 
the dude that's wearing like Gene Simmons makeup yeah. under a pirate patch. But it looks, yes. they, it kind of <laughs> sets them up to be the baddies of the movie. Like I was kind of like, oh, okay, here's like the, another baddie and they'll be fighting on two fronts. It's like, no, no, they're just here for this one scene and to drop a bunch of bullshit and get their heads cut off and say they're sorry. My question is, did they, did they actually pluck a parrot for this movie? I think they might have. Oh man. Yeah. What's up with that? What was that all about? Unless it's like a Mexican hairless parrot or something. A Mexican hairless parrot. You heard it here first, folks, on the EBD podcast. Well, it had, had feathers on its head. It just didn't have any on its body. Who knows, man? Yeah. No parrots were harmed in the making of this film. No, no parrots were harmed in the making of this podcast. I can't say the same for the film. <laughs> I do like that the, uh, that the big baddie came back and was on the, uh, you know, Macy's Day parade float in the desert later. Yes, yes, with the with the skull, the big fake front wheels and the skull on the front. Of it. Yeah, yeah the the kind of Mad Max ish esque. Yeah, solar solar vehicles. But it's, it was Mad Max in the sense that, like, if if we got a bunch of our friends together and like tried to make a Mad Max go kart because it was cool in our cul de sac that we live in in suburbs. That was the level of quality of that fucking flow. It might have come out better. No, it might it might have. But I think Chad's probably right. I mean, the the bouncing up and down, not well-attached skull with horns was the biggest indicator. Well, I probably that, that was the, my favorite bit until I realized the big wheels didn't actually do anything and were just sitting there. And they wobbled. No. And they wobbled. The, the, yeah, the, the wheels going over stuff where they like, like one of them almost came off. <laughs> And then wasn't rolling right afterwards. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, God. Well, and it was so, you know, it, it pushed Percy all the way into the dirt. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we haven't even talked about Percy. The robot with the random giant white bow tie? The one talking robot? Well, no, he's the only robot that speaks of those types of robots. And he also is wearing some sort of white ascot or bow tie. And then he has cuffs. Cuffs. Actual cuffs. Yeah, really, really great. I liked him. Yeah, he was good. I loved him. I liked Percy. And wasn't that the end of Percy? He gets sunk into the ground, then he like flips them off, and that's it or something? No, he they, no. they come back for another pass, and then he hides underneath the – he hides back in the dirt again. I don't okay. know. I think my favorite part about the uh, the pirate moon was the um, random adoption of two donkeys and two piglets. Yes. Yep. I Yeah. All of a sudden, there was a lot of livestock. To go with the apple eating. Mm. <laughs> the apple eating is terrific. Jesus. It's so, it's such a, it's like gum chewing. It's such a, like a thing that you can do that kind of makes you look cool while you're explaining certain things in films or in life. Where the hell are they getting apples? Exactly. And why are they not the most precious goddamn food? Because you can just squish them into juice and get the liquid. And, you know, it's like this whole water obsession thing. And the dude's just like tossing apples around like it's no big deal. So no one's no one's discovered apple juice. <laughs> if we could circle back for a minute to the bar, the bar sword fight. I really enjoyed just how seriously they took setting up how sharp the swords were. Like it was, yes. <laughs> it was like they anticipated Kev getting frustrated about how unrealistic the sword sharpening was. So they were like, no, mm. no, no. I'm going to cut the toe of his boot off and then I'm going to cut a table in half and make it crystal clear that these aren't just normal swords. Didn't he, didn't he even like quarter the table? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he did, Ben, but then it just <laughs> broke in half. That was the thing that was great about that scene. 
He quartered it, and then he just t- did the classic, I'm just going to touch it or blow on it, and then it just folded in half. Oh, it was so good. Well, I mean, for for me, the the contrast between the sharpness of the weapons, which I didn't even really focus on, but you're absolutely right, Chad, in bringing that up. The, the contrast between that and just how utterly terrible the fighting scenes were in this movie. I mean, they were terrible. And that one at the bar was the worst one. Like when Angelica Houston starts, pulls her sword out and starts swinging it around to cut the pirate's eye patch off so you can see his kiss makeup, you can't really even see what she's doing in any way, shape, or form. Like it was terrible. So ditto with the guy that quartered the table. You didn't really see him do it. You just saw like a bunch of ching, 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 ching. And then it was like, touch the table. It breaks in half. I, it was te- the fight scenes were terrible. It's almost like there was no like fight coordinator on the, on the set at all. In fact, yeah, there, there yeah. probably wasn't one. Or they fired the fight coordinator so they could hire a more experienced dance coordinator for the disco scene. Or they just go like, oh, well, uh, you know, the actors can do it, you know, or, uh, oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just do that because I don't have anything going on. The director, you know, like I, I've been in plays where things like that have happened. It never seems to go very well. Um, so should we talk about the frog lady or <laughs> move on to lanky nips? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great example of how they like turn the sexist trope on its head. Like, you know, he sends in Karina to like, you know, try and woo the frog lady or, you know, what they don't know is a frog lady at that point, I guess. And then she comes back and says, actually, she wants you. He's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was like, oh, this is just too much. What was Robert Urich's big thing in the 80s? I know it was a show. Uh, fuck, it was in my head a second ago, and now it's gone the minute you mentioned it. I know, it. we got to have to Disappeared. look that up. I feel like it starts with an H, like Hardigan or something. Everybody, Kevs. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eject in Kev. Chad, <laughs> jot that down while you guys continue to talk for a second about the frog lady. The Lazarus Man? No, I remember he had Spencer for Hire. Spencer That's for what hire. it was. Yeah. It was his big thing. He was in Vegas that was in the 70s, though. And also, uh, well, Vegas. And then <laughs> Spencer <laughs> for hire. I, I think the frog lady might have the best visual effect in the entire film, though. Like, uh, you know, when she drops them off, she tells, like, Jason to be careful. And she gives him a, quote, kiss. And this frog tongue kind of comes out. and whoosh, like, Oh, yeah. But that was actually pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. But for 1984, that was quite good. Yeah. Like, I... You know, it's so interesting to me, like, these films, like, where they choose to put the money. It's, like, there's so many crappy parts. And then, like, the frog lady actually looks really good. Like, the makeup was good. And the way she spoke was frog-esque, I guess. And then the tongue, I was like, wow, they really kind of went for it with that. Like, I was pretty impressed. Anyway. I don't know. You kind of get stoked on the frog lady. You're like, you know what? That's kind of funny. And it, I like that it flips the trope on its head and she's driving around this stupid hot rod thing. And then all of a sudden she just explodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just like, oh, well, she's dead. All right. And then they drive the car that was exploded away. Like she just completely mushroom cloud explodes. And yet they still are able to salvage that vehicle. <laughs> right. 
Oh, no, 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 dude. Come on. It was like way better than that. They came in firing. Like, it's like a, a huge explosion. The frog lady vaporizes completely. <laughs> She's gone. And man. then when they need when they need to leave, they get into a perfectly intact, no burn marks, no shot mark, no nothing. The car is completely mint when they get in it to leave again. <laughs> it was so good. I think it might have been missing one of its solar panels, but other than that, Maybe. it was perfect. Okay, I I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. But you you know what I mean? It was it was pretty pristine. That was so funny, man. So then they meet with uh, Lanky Nibs, and he tells him to go to blah, blah, blah planet, which turns into a foggy unicorn fight with a random dude with only a head, which was, I have no idea what the fuck that was about. That's pretty uh, pretty terrific. I love the fact that the unicorn gores somebody, and the, the horn comes off, and the unicorn is just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, maybe they grow him back like Ron Perlman's hand, so no biggie. Oh, right. Yeah, everything just grows back in this movie. Yeah. So I don't know why everybody was so worried about being castrated then. Exactly. I know. Like Zeno's hand, yeah. <laughs> should we talk should we just talk about like, quickly like the names and how weird they were? The choices of names. Yeah. <laughs> you mean outside of Lanky Nibs? Well i well yeah, outside of Lanky Nibs, like I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about it. Really, I mean Lanky Nibs, like that is the dumbest name ever. And then you know, half the names are regular. Like, it's like, it's Jason and it's Roscoe, you know, and Percy the robot and then Princess Karina. Like, that's all very normal sounding. And then you, everybody else has like these bizarro, like, space names, like Zeno and I can't, I can't even pronounce Angelica Houston's name. Is it Maida? Maida? M A I D A? I was like, I don't, okay. I don't know if they ever actually said it. Did I don't they? think they did. No, I don't think they did. So it was like, you know, Zeno and Mida and Zorn and Killjoy and, you know, and just Frog Lady. They didn't even name the poor girl. It, hmm. I know. And Frog Lady. And it's like, I don't know. I just I always find that interesting. It's like you, you really went all out on the space names for these four characters. But then everybody else, eh, we'll just give them regular names like, you know, Joe and Bob, like. Mm. And uh, we're, we're coming to a character who probably should have had a pretty sci-fi name because he's a living head, but his name is just Wendon. Yeah, Wendon, played by Hollywood legend Bruce Valanche. Who I didn't recognize until looking him up and I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's a, he's pretty prolific as a writer, really, more than anything. Yeah, as far as his role in the movie was concerned, I kind of thought they just like grabbed the sound guy and stuck him in, in the scene, but... I didn't realize that he was as prolific as he was. <laughs> he does kind of look like he might be a sound guy. It was the most confusing scene. It goes like foggy unicorn fight to like a bunch of painted Amazons and then this really weird dude. Oh, yeah. Did, did anybody notice the 300 makeup on the Amazons? Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> well, that was just a bizarre sequence. Bizarre sequence. It is bizarre. All, to, all just so they can meet Robot Daddy and get the ring. Yeah. That was so weird. I feel like they're that whole sequence, like I feel like probably maybe there was more to like yeah, maybe. flesh it out because it's it's I mean, even the pirate moon scene is kind of abrupt. So so this one was like even more truncated, probably kind of bizarre, I think. Yeah, it would make sense because it was just so, so random. I was quite confused <laughs> the whole time. Just it made no sense to me. Yeah, they get out of the ship. They're in the fog. The unicorn riding Amazons capture them yeah that's it's all i really like the carrying the head around thing where it was like 
they would they kept framing the shot so that it didn't seem like it was the dude just kind of tucked off camera, you know. And, <laughs> and then it would cut to them holding a prosthetic head, and it was the worst prosthetic I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was pretty bad. And I did I did appreciate how they framed the shots, so it was just like. You know, like when he was like holding his head, and it's like the the bottom of the frame is like right where his chin is. So I was like, yeah. okay. Or they built him into the computer console, and he's just like sitting on the table. <laughs> it's just so cringy. Yes, yes, loved that. What about the turkey Thanksgiving space herpes scene? I well, the space herpes came up first out of that weird egg. I don't remember exactly which point in the film. At first, it, I feel like it came up early, and then it was like we just were made to forget about it for a it's while. When, it's when they escape from Zorn and they get their ship back. Then they're with Karina. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Ben. So he he climbs on Roger's back and bites him. And I thought that that was going to produce something later, but it didn't. Never did. In fact, it's the only time the, the space rippies actually does anything like really egregious. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it, it gives Roscoe a, hic- a hickey, and then yeah, 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 because Roscoe sleeps with no shirt on and an ascot like scarf and a jacket over him. That's it. That's how I sleep. And he sleeps in the same room as like everything that's going on on the ship, like the, the, control, the control room. room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's okay. Um, so. Can we talk about the family style Thanksgiving dinner or? Yeah, let's 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 definitely touch on Thanksgiving because that was super like, OK, it's it's like a Hallmark holiday special moment in the movie with like, you know, the weird robotic hands. <laughs> I forgot about them. Like I, I, like there was one coming from like a panel above the table that was like doing some sort of serving. But then when. Ron Perlman was like making the meal or whatever. There were there were hands along the wall of the counter doing various different things. But I feel like, and I could be wrong, you could see the robots standing behind the counter. Was that, am I remembering this right or not? I don't think I, so. I, wasn't, I was not paying that close of attention. <laughs> no, I think I think it was it was meant to be like magical arm robots that come out of the walls and ceilings but i i don't think it was the robots yeah that's what i thought that's what i thought too and then he's talking to them saying ah, add 20 percent more carrot yeah. you know he's wah, like wah, wah, wah. the one above is like pouring pouring a drink and then the other one's like mixing batter in a bowl or something but <laughs> yeah super it's really just uh i mean it was a cool concept yeah but just really bad execution which made it funny yeah very silly cartoonish which made it better and you, you say the Space Herbie didn't do anything bad, but the Space Herbie ruined a perfectly good fucking turkey, which is pretty egregious, man. That's true. It did. It really did. It, I mean, Ron Perlman was crushed. He was very upset. He came, out, he came out with that turkey. He was like a proud mom. You know, he's like, look at this beautiful turkey I made. And, yeah. <laughs> I love how campy he was, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he was also... Um, like the maid was like super traumatized by the space herpy coming out of the turkey. Ah, fair enough, man. If uh, everybody else is kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the space herpy came out of my turkey dinner. I'd be pretty fucking upset too. Especially if I had smuggled uh, jellied cranberry all the way from the U.S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Top five. Top five. I, I never realized that in, in 
all the times I'd seen this film when I was a kid, I never realized that the space herpes was the ship got space herpes. It wasn't like something that was necessarily worrisome for people. It was like something that infected the ship. Right. So they yeah. Say, oh, the ship's got herpes. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> which which I, I don't think they that could have been really funny, but they didn't quite, you know. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. But the ship should have had a big coal sore somewhere or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't quite monopolize on it in the right right way. Yeah. I enjoy how they saw Robot Daddy on the Amazon fog planet, and then it's like Thanksgiving dinner scene, and then it just goes straight into like balls to the wall. Oh, no, I suppose, I suppose I'm, I'm misspeaking and forgetting the amazing sex scene before the balls to the wall climax fight. Right before. Because that sex scene was pretty amazing. I call it Passion Storm. <laughs> oh, God. Here's the tape. It's a clear piece of unmarked plastic. Put it in the machine, baby. I love the tropey music during Passion Storm, too. It's like oh my God. total tropey 80s, you know, like Yacht Rocky kind of romance guitar music. Like, mm. <laughs> So good. It would have been good if they didn't douse the actors in you know, water, but the fact that they go the extra mile and just soaking fucking wet rain machine above them is just so amazing. Yeah. It was just absurd with the picture of the beach in the background. Mm. Like, I I don't know. Yeah. And I I love how they were both wearing like blousy whites. Like he, his shirt was actually tied. Like a, a woman would tie her shirt. If, if she had like a, like a long kind of button down on, you know, yeah. and then they'll like, you know, sometimes women will take a, a shirt like that and tie it up around their midriff. You know what I mean? And that's, that's how his shirt was tied. And I was very disturbed by that. He's starting a new fashion, man. I've started wearing my shirts like that. Yeah. It was like the, uh, the, they were trying to make that love scene funny and it just didn't <laughs> just, it was just awkward and weird. So it was like the proto proto idea for like the hot shots lovemaking scene, which was actually quite funny. It's pretty amazing. The diving board bit, especially. Yeah. It, it's like they just did, didn't quite go over the top enough with it, I think. Mm-hmm. But he does knock her up, which is pretty hilarious. Yes. Well, it's great because the baby comes five minutes later via the time warp. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the, t- the time warp. And then they're like, do you want to hold him? And he's like, nah, I got things to do. <laughs> just walks away. <laughs> he's such a douchebag. Oh, very... Very classic man, like, oh, that's not mine. Oh, no, I got to go check the soda machine. Yep. Is that the pilot light just going out? I'll be right back. Yeah, I think he literally actually says, like, I've got something more important to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they find the oh, secret man. coordinates from the rings, and they're going to go and find this planet. And if they go off course, they age in a weird way or some crazy shit like that. Then there's the Thanksgiving scene and the sex scene. And now they're hurtling through space being chased by the baddies. And somehow the ships collide and a million robots come out. Robots upon robots upon robots. So don't forget the, the quick, the weird quick racial scene where they, uh, you know, Roscoe unveils his masterpiece robot. And <laughs> Jason's like, Oh, not for nothing, but why'd you make it black? And he's like, I want it to be perfect. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) that was great. Yeah, that was just unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, always bet on black, Benny. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's good that you know Roscoe turned it around right there, but still, it just seemed unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, very much so. They could have made more time for the space herpes instead. They had that scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like the, the final climactic battle of the robots because of the time warp thing, which is an interesting enough idea. Like it's silly and whatever, but the way that they shot it with like having it speed up and slow down and have a sound effect, it kind of had like a Benny Hill show fast forward effect, which may or may not have been intentional. But Much like the chase scene. Yeah. Yep. It was just ridiculous, man. And it's just nonstop for the next four or five minutes. It was creative. They did a good job with the beards and the hair. Yeah. Like I was like, I mean, that was obviously the locus of the aging sort of visual, but they did, they did a good job with it. And then to have, you know, the son who looks exactly like Robert Urich. <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You got to love it, man. It's pretty it, funny. It man. actually was Robert Urich. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it was Robert Urich. Mom, dad. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that's the whole reason they had the donkeys and the, the livestock, et cetera, was so we get to see them like get larger. <laughs> to make it crystal clear what's going on, because it wasn't obvious enough. Yeah. Not really sure if people are going to get this, so we better like better add some stuff in to make sure they're getting it. How about donkeys? Uh, perfect. I, I, did, I, I did enjoy Roscoe's uh, gigantic white fro. <laughs> Oh my god, it was amazing! Yeah, the, when they get really old and they, they're all just like the giant, like ZZ Top beards and like giant hair, like it's it's pretty funny, and they're they're like exhausted. <laughs> but there's just no they're like all lethargic and shit trying to fight. Mm. Uh. But the time the, the time shifting fight is interesting because you're just like, okay, what's going on? All right, they're aging. This is going to be like lanky nibs where they're all going to grow old and you kind of think they're only going to grow old a little bit. And now all of a sudden they're ancient and then all the stakes just disappear and it goes back to the way it was. And you're just like, okay. The maid turns into a skeleton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what didn't make sense about the time warp is because when Lanky explains that I can't believe I'm having this conversation. When Lanky (laughs) explains that he looks so terrible because he got caught in the time warp. Then later, after we go through the entire time warp experience with the entire gang and all the robots, um, they turn back to normal and Princess Karina goes, time warp complete. Or we, oh, we're through the time warp. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like how? And then, <laughs> and then it's just a shot of the earth on the screen and they're like, we did it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they didn't do a very good job explaining it. You know what? I don't, I don't, I don't care enough to even... I don't even care enough to know the answer. Uh, That's good. I'm going to tell you anyways. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there is an answer. Is there, Benny? I just took it as like, you know, like there are all these tropes around like, you know, warp tunnels and different things like that, where it's like if you get, you know, shot out at the wrong place or whatever, like you'll never get back or whatever. So it's like I always took the time warp as like if you don't make it to the destination, which is the seventh planet, like if you don't get all the way through the time warp tunnel or whatever, then like you stay, you stay the way you were. But if you make it out, like it, it's as if it never happened, I guess. I don't know. There's more, (laughs) there are more egregious things in this movie than that. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. It is, it is a fair point. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, Ron, Ron Perlman actually says, I think I'm getting too old for this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very danny glover man very they, they threw in a lot of little things from other movies in this oh definitely stew of a sort of a shit stew <laughs> <laughs> 
So they end up on the bridge, and they turns out they haven't aged, and they say, oh, wait, we won. Ha, ha, ha. And it's a, a shot of the earth, and that's the big, uh, I see dead people twist at the end, as it turns out that that was the, uh, the hidden planet this whole time. Yeah. Freeze frame. Angelica Houston and a giant football player make out. Freeze frame. Oh, man, I know. I was, like, waiting for her to hook up with somebody. Yeah. I figured, I've kind of figured it maybe would be Zeno, but he's too crafty. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Ice Pirates. <laughs> ice Pirates, courtesy of us. Yay. Uh, should we do the NDR? Yes. You guys got stuff? I do, actually. I got some nuggets. Well, let's hear them. Well, what do you got? Do you got any nuggets? Well, I, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I kind of had, I had just a couple, but we kind of glossed over it. So I, I, I've got a little bit more. Bruce Boughton, okay, who did... The music for this movie, the terrible, terrible score for this music, right? So I did a little deep dive into him last night because I was like, this music is terrible. And I was on the phone with a friend of mine and I was like, oh, we're, we're doing Ice Pirates in the morning. And I sent him the trailer and he was already watching it. And he was like, God, this looks terrible, man. And he commented on how bad the music was in the trailer. So I looked up Bruce Bowden and this guy is one of the most accomplished composers in Hollywood. He has won nine Emmys. Really? Nine Emmys. The guy, the guy that wrote this terrible music has won nine Emmy Awards for his work in television. And I think it's worthy of noting that he did the scores for some really great movies, uh, one or two that we have talked about here on the show, Silverado, Young Sherlock Holmes. He did Tombstone. No shit. Yes, uh, the Presidio, Monster Squad, you know, bunch bunch of movies, like some good stuff too. And then he has a lot of credits for some television scores as well, and not just like schlocky shows either, like really good stuff. So there you go. That's sort of my that's my sort of mega nugget. Hmm. Just goes to show, at an eight million dollar budget, you get what you pay for. <laughs> yep. It's like, yeah, I'll do it, but for this, uh, you're not getting much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. He did uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer, which is a great Mike Myers movie. That's a good one. Yeah, really, really good one. So that that was Bruce Bowden. He won many, many Emmys. Hawaii Five-0, Gunsmoke, <laughs> Barnaby Jones. Like, I mean, Dallas, a lot of stuff there. So my second nugget. Everybody gives. All right, whatever, dude. I mean, it's look, it's a, <laughs> my second nugget is a tie-in with the Dallas thing. So he won a primetime Emmy for the music he did on Dallas. Mary Crosby is the daughter of Bing Crosby. Crazy. Number one. Sub-nugget, she played Kristen Shepard on Dallas, who was the person who shot JR. Now, for you two and the folks at home out there, you can say whatever you want about Dallas, but Dallas was the show in the late 70s into the early 80s. It was huge. And the whole Who Shot JR plotline, storyline. <laughs> that was huge. That was, was like, absolutely. That was the zeitgeist of the time. Like, that was like, it, the no, it really was. Every, like, <laughs> like, I think that was on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, it was. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, who shot JR? Like, it was huge. So, there's always people or something. Yeah, yeah, so Mary Crosby has the distinction of being Princess Karina in this terrible movie and the 
the character playing the character who shot J.R. Ewing on Dallas, which is a pretty wide juxtaposition <laughs> of acting jobs. <laughs> Very much so. And being the real life daughter of Bing Crosby, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, which I thought was a pretty uh, interesting little bit there. So those are sort of my those are my two big ones. I like it. She's also I, I can throw this in here and add your nugget. She's also the aunt of um oh god shit, I can't remember her name now. Uh fuck. Uh you can help me out here. Well you haven't died yet, so there you go. I'm gonna help you as soon as I can. No, uh find the wo- the, the woman that played Tashi R and Oh, for Next real? Generation. Denise Crosby? Oh, wow. Denise Crosby, yes. She's the aunt of Denise Crosby. Oh, come on. Yeah. You're right. Her niece is Denise Crosby. Holy shit. Bada bing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I've got to. Well, bada Google, actually, but hey. Oh, bada Jimmy. Welcome back, Jimmy. Yeah, I, you know, I picked it up in my research. Welcome back. Bada bada Jing. Uh, John Matsukic. Matsukis, Matsakakak, Maka Kakalaka, that guy? John Matuzak? That guy. He was in One Qu- Crazy Summer as Stain and also was Sloth in Goonies. No. Yes. We'll uh, pause the podcast for a moment while you confirm that. <laughs> no need, Chad. I've already confirmed it. You are correct and you may live. I. Uh, it turns out I do actually know how to read. And repeat what I have read. I love that about you, number one. Number two, I love that he was uh, the guy that played Sloth and Goonies. That's pretty awesome. I love Goonies. Very special place in my heart, that movie. Yes. My final nugget it ties ties in with the end of the film. So it uh, is fitting as the final nugget of the episode, potentially, where the director had an original ending, which had a sequence where the crew flew over modern-day Miami Beach. Yes. No, Malibu Beach, actually. I read that, too. And the sequence was cut by the MGM studio executives without the director knowing before the film was sent for distribution. So the guy was super pissed about it. Yes, I love that. I read that same bit. That was great. That was pretty funny. I mean, talk about your old your your old switcheroo. It's like, ah, we'll just do something different. We're not going to tell him. Just don't tell the guy that made the movie. He's already on vacation. Don't bother calling him. And that also was my nugget. That also was your nugget? Did I steal it? That also was the nugget that I had, yeah. But uh, my bad, Benny. I knew somebody else was gonna throw it in there, so I didn't bother. That's all right, Chad. This is your nugget section. True that. Ratings. All right. Who's gonna rate it first, Benny? You want to go first or last? It's your pick. I don't care. Um, go first, Benny. I, I I totally spaced out any kind of <clears throat> improbability drive rating for this, but you spaced out. Ha ha. Hmm. Unintentional. Um, this one should probably get like maybe a six, but it gets a seven because uh, it's got some nostalgic value and uh, totally. And uh, you know, it's awful and it's schlocky, but it's really fun. So it is. You know, I think it's worth watching. It's 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 not going to win any awards. It's not even good, but it is fun. Mm. That's it. I agree. I'll go next. Um, so you know how if you compress coal, it turns into a diamond? Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. I feel like this turd is polished so finely that it has compressed into a precious gem made of shit. 
I don't know what that would be called, but if you could compress a turd down into a crystalline structure, it would be this movie. It definitely doesn't mean it's going to rate very high in the algorithm, but I do enjoy the fact that it is essentially the jewel form of a turd. Wow. My, um... My first instinct on this one. This is this is your real quick your most interesting approach to date in terms of ratings. <laughs> okay, and I can now. I really can't wait to hear what you're going to say next. Go, shit diamond. Well, that shit diamond. That totally reminds me. <laughs> but you almost don't really have to say anything else. That you kind of don't. <laughs> yeah, you really don't. Man. It totally reminds me of when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail up in Maine. There was this dude that made jewelry out of moose shit he would spray it with clear coat and make like earrings and necklaces out of moose shit and you could buy it and he like worked in the garage and so like this is a moose shit necklace of a movie okay all right and uh (laughs) when placing it on the algorithm it just you know whatever the the actual rating isn't all that interesting it's a it's a 3.6 i definitely think it's better than thor the dark world because it's really fucking funny to say that and i personally enjoyed jingle all the way and out for justice more so it rates higher than it probably should, but that was like my first kind of instinct. Hmm. On second glance, that put it above Robot Jocks, which is currently at the bottom of my algorithm with a 1.9. So it probably should get more like that. But at the same time, I have a certain joy out of the fact that it's better than Thor The Dark World because fuck that movie. Fair enough, man. I, I personally think it's better than Robot Jocks, but... You do not or do? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. It's definitely better than Robot Jocks. So it's better than Robot Jocks on my rating, too. It's a 3.6, but uh, the takeaway here is that it's a it's a shit diamond. I agree with both of you. I somewhat echo Jarhigo's rating. I'm going to give it a 6. You know, I mean, this is a terrible movie, but like Ben said, it's just good fun. It's not trying to be anything more than it is. Whereas Robot Jocks, by comparison, was trying to be Pacific Rim back in like 1987, and it just didn't work out so great for anybody, including the three of us viewing it. And yeah, it's just good fun. It's just got, I'm still baffled by how this film got some really great actors in it, like Mary Crosby and Robert Urich and Roger Ipswich from Accounting, but... <laughs> You know, it gets a six. I mean, it's not amazing, but definitely good and a fun. I would watch this again, although I will say I did have some fatigue talking about it. Fair enough. That's it. I think this is like get together with with your friends on a random night and get drunk watching it kind of repeat visit. Definitely. Like if we had the ability to forecast together, the three of us, uh, and we could watch a movie and, and just goof around, this would be a great one to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, okay, so what else do we need to talk about? Plugs, shout-outs, what else do we got? Uh, do, do we want to talk about our uh, our first shit rating? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> speaking of shit diamonds. Speaking of shit diamonds. Oh, okay. Speaking of shit diamonds, we had our first bad review. So uh, Dead to Sin clearly didn't care for our podcast about Big Trouble in Little China. And, uh, you know, after reading his review, I, I've got to admit that uh, he's absolutely right about that particular episode. Um, I agree. I don't know if this guy would particularly care for our format in the first place because, you know, we're not a concise show. It's about a conversation about a movie. It's not about like, you know, that, that particular episode, uh, which was Big Trouble in Little China, I think. Uh, I don't know if we did it justice personally, and it's one that I might like to revisit at some point in the future. And uh, mm. Yeah, and I guess you know my 
two cents on on it is number one the dude's review title was fucking hilarious it was in this episode everyone dies of boredom which i thought was great yes best (laughs) title ever fucking hilarious um but yeah he 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 made some good points my first reaction was like obviously the show wasn't for him but the more i thought about it the more you know similar benny like i i think they were valid and good points and listening to the episode i was kind of like yeah you know what this this isn't the best uh the best one we've done and i guess I'm happy to take the criticism on board and and welcome other forms of criticism for the sake of improving the show. Ideally, not in one star review form. Like, feel free to send me a message. But um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> might be a bit harsh, but yeah, sure. But whatever, you know, you do you. Um, but I guess you know, like you're a lot of mulligan here and there, and that one was clearly a mulligan. It's a shame because it was such a fantastic movie and such a huge. We're such huge fans of that film, so maybe we will need to revisit it at some point. But in the meantime, yeah, we got our first uh, poopy review. And if you want to help by putting up some reviews, if you haven't already, now would be a great time because it would help uh, average that out. Despite the fact that he had a good point, we would love if you like the show to please review. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe one star is a little harsh. I mean, if we were Uber drivers, we would have just got fired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Probably. Fair enough. Concur. We want to remind everybody that we are starting a book club that will feature some science fiction classics. We'll be talking about the audiobooks as well. We want to encourage everybody to pick up the book or pick up the audiobook or both if you can and follow along with us. We're going to announce a date for the first one soon, trademarked. And the book series will be Hyperion by Dan Simmons. So if folks want to go ahead and jump into that, in audiobook or a regular book format, you can follow along with us uh, in four to six weeks when we get to it. Also, everybody check out the Rolling Stallones album, Volume 1, Cause for Concern, available on Bandcamp. You can find them at Rolling Stallones on Instagram, and you can find the links to all their music there as well. I believe they're also on Spotify, as Chad has indicated in the past. Algorithm, what's coming up next week? I'm pretty pumped, man. We... Uh... We've hesitated for for a very long time to do a Bruce Willis movie. Way too long. Um, because of the fact that we are so in love with Bruno, but... Aside from Fifth Element, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an old school Bruce Willis movie maybe is a better way to put it. And we thought there would be no better way to, to kick off our Bruno love than with Die Hard 2, which I think I've only seen once and is considered to be the worst of the Bruce Willis movies. So we thought it would be funny. And we're going to be watching that one. So have a look and follow along with us next week, folks. Sharpen your icicles. There you go. (laughs) There you have it, folks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ice Pirates. And join us next week for Die Hard 2. And we will see you on another time. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya. That's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. You can find the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 64. If you'd like to support the show, folks, there are a couple of great ways you can do it. You can rate us, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast muffin tops. You can also tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. You can ask us questions or give us suggestions for shows uh, via email, contact at ebd.fm, or at our Twitter hashtag, AskEBD. 
can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. You can find Jarhigo at Jarhigo on Twitter. And you can find Chat at Chat Normal on Twitter. The best place to find us, folks, is on Instagram at EBD Podcast, which is our handle for most social medias. We seem to have the most conversations and action over on Instagram. So please join in the conversations there. We'd love for you to join us. And stay tuned next week, folks, for Die Hard 2. We're certainly excited about that. And thanks for joining us on this one. We'll see you next time. Thank you.